Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Saturday, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. Got another weekend episode for you because we want to give you guys as much content as possible. Joining me today, the one and only Michael J. Focci. Focci, before we get into it, I got to ask you two quick questions here. Um, Random question, but um, if you're picking between the colors red and blue, which color would you pick? Between red and blue? Yeah, what's your favorite color between red and blue? Red used to be my favorite color. I'd say it still, still holds a good spot. Okay, so let me ask you this. If you're picking between, let's say, mm, this is a tough one here, Bradley Beal, Richard Hamilton, or Michael Jordan, uh, who would you say was the better player overall in their career? Mm, it's a tough one, Alex. going to have to go with MJ, though. And, and guys, this is why you got to check out YouTube, because Alex has this smirk on his face where you just know he's got something up his sleeve and i just gotta sit here and i just gotta wait to hear it so <laughs> so mj okay mj's first all right so what about the next two who would you rank second there was richard hamilton and who was it bradley bradley bill, bill yeah uh i mean i guess i'd have to go Beal. i guess but can't be sleeping on rip yeah all three washington wizards don't know if you caught that or not. I did. I, I knew exactly where you're going when uh, I knew it's wizard theme from the beginning. So. And, and blue and red jerseys. So you like red and blue. So that's great to know. So Fachi, big yeah, Wizards fan. Blue. Told you I like red, but well, uh, I mean that was the two color choices. That's their color scheme, red and blue. So you didn't really have a choice on that one. I really didn't. Really <laughs> didn't. Uh, All right, man. No, I'm just kidding. This off. Yeah. Anyway, uh, guys, we got a fun <laughs> episode for you today. We got Derek Murray coming on. We're talking draft. We're talking not just the past draft. We're also talking about the 2023 draft yeah. because, hey, if you guys are with me and Alex, you know that this season is going to be a long one, and the Pacers yeah. might be finding themselves amongst the top of the draft standings, you know, the inverse standings, that is. So the odds of, of picking number one, I mean, look, it's something that we want, but we're also going to dive into a few different prospects that the Pacers can be looking at inside the top five. Yeah, I mean, I even think we talked about 10 to 12 prospects. I mean, that's a lot of information for you guys right now at this point. But I think it's a, a good idea to get a name or a couple of names in your head, just kind of monitor throughout the season and, and see like, okay, how are they developing? 
this year in college, whether they're playing the G League or overtime elite, like wherever they're playing, like how are they developing? I think that's really important. Um, but yeah, just talking about our our draft class too, just to kind of get you know uh, Derek Murray's thoughts on that. I mean, he does a great job for BasketballNews.com, and he's really in plug, uh, really plugged in, really in tune with what's going on behind the scenes and you know what teams and executives are thinking. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one. But Fachi, before we move on, before we take a commercial break and bring on our guest. Our YouTube channel, it is going to be having some special stuff coming up this season. We got some separate shows that me and you're going to be doing on those as well as some interviews like we have been doing. But people got to come out and subscribe to our YouTube channel because it's only going to be some of the best Pacers content out there. Uh, not trying to overhype us, but I'm just telling you, we're going to be giving you guys some in-depth stuff that you're not going to get on other podcasts and you're not going to get on our podcast. We're going to try to make it a little bit more of a YouTube driven show. So make sure you guys are subscribed to that. But um, how do you like the YouTube experience so far, Fudge? It's been good. I mean, do I have to, you know, break out the, bro- the, the broom a little? Oh my God, the comb and, uh, you know, they say broom. Brush. Yeah, look, I got a lot of hair these days, man. No, so look, I got to take out the brush. I got I to gotta look presentable. But for those of you looking on YouTube right now, I got the brand new setting the pace shirt on. As you can see, it, it is fresh. But overall, it's been good. At first, I thought, oh, man, this is going to be a little bit awkward. But at the same point, it's been great. I think it's even better for building chemistry because we're actually getting to see each other instead of just seeing a name on the screen. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, I mean, we're 18 subscribers away from reaching our goal of 500 for the month of August. So, you know, not that far away. If you're going through the drive through to get a coffee, tell your barista, hey, have you heard of setting the pace of Pacers podcast? And if they say yes, say, are you subscribed? to the YouTube channel. If they say no, then say, are you hiding under a rock? You got to find them on YouTube and wherever you can get your podcast. But with that being said, Fachi, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be right back with Derek Murray after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Joining us now from the basketballnews.com is the one and only Derek Murray. does a great job there covering the NBA draft. And so today we're going to be talking uh, this Pacers draft class 2022, but also looking ahead to the 2023 class, as we know, the Pacers are in for a rough season ahead. So wanted to get a little bit of a head start there to see who to keep an eye on in the college season. But Derek, what's going on, man? How you doing? Alex, what's going on? Appreciate y'all having me on here as always. And, you know, it's never fun to as a fan to think that your team is going into a, quote, rough season. But as a draft guy. I love rough seasons because that means I'm going to get some good players. So a uh, mix of emotions here. But again, I appreciate it and always enjoy talking Pacers. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's just jump right into it. Obviously, the Pacers with the six overall pick, they did fall one spot behind from where they were projected to go in terms of the lottery, stuff like that. They had the fifth best or fifth worst record, but they fall to six, but they get Benedict Mather. And this is a guy the Pacers really seem to like, and there's a lot of confidence that's oozing out of Matherin. So talk to me a little bit about his game and what do you think he can do for the Pacers? One of my favorite fits in the lottery, if not the whole draft. Um, I love that pick. 
probably about a month out, there was a lot of talk, a lot of chatter as Matherin being one of the guys that, you know, if you couldn't get Jaden Ivey, you as in any team couldn't get Jaden Ivey, how high do you have to go to get Matherin? It's like a lot of teams really liked him. They really wanted him. Um, I think his movement shooting, which we saw a lot in summer league, I think is really going to open up that offense for the Pacers. And that's what I really like. I like the idea of him and Duarte next to each other, together, playing off each other, however you want to see, use that. Um, doesn't have to have the ball in his hands. Uh, really, really good athlete. He's one that in person, so he was listed six seven for most of his freshman year at Arizona. And I went to Arizona at Tennessee in Knoxville uh, right before Christmas last year. And he came out of the tunnel, and I was like, crap, this guy's 6'5". Like, he's not – like, they, they've been lying. Like, what is going on here? So I would I want to say I was, like, disappointed because of 6'7". You're looking at, like, a world-class athlete. But he plays that big, which I think is awesome. So even though he is probably 6'5", you know, maybe pushing 6'6", he's a guy that I think can play the two or the three in most lineups. Flashes of being able to get his own shot on the ball. Um, again, in Knoxville that night, he was hitting the sidestep off the dribble threes, had 30-something that night, and was just unstoppable. So I love the pick. I love the work ethic. You're going to love the teammate, the player. Um, I just think it was awesome. That's who we would have picked at six. I absolutely love the pick. I mean, if there's two words that sounded like a broken record that Alex and I were living by, it was choo-choo because we were driving the Matherin train right over here for Indiana. And at six, I thought it was a home run pick. Now, one thing that I thought was very interesting, I was reading an article, Grant Afseth, we had on our show about a week or two ago, uh, was really covering Summer League and mentioned that, you know, Matherin really didn't do too much isolation ball in college and actually ended up scoring more isolation points in Summer League than he did last year as an Arizona Wildcat. So what do you feel like else can grow with Matherin's game as time goes on? I do think the creation stuff and scoring out of ISO will be there in spurts. So again, that night in Knoxville and in, in spurts throughout the season, there were flashes. You could see it. Pick and roll, isolation, really good footwork and set himself up for shots. Could create a lot of space on his shots. Elevates incredibly well with great balance and power. Uh, I just don't think that's going to be his role on an NBA floor, at least for like most of his career. So while it is there, you'll see it at times. I just wouldn't bank on seeing it too much, not because he can't, but because he probably just won't be tasked to do so. And I want to go back to the summer league, you know, talking about Matherin. I thought he played really well in the three games that he played in. Uh, what were your overall thoughts on how he performed during the summer league? Yeah, he was one where, you know, I got asked kind of a, did guys over or underperform what I thought they'd do? And I thought he was just even. And I mean that in a good sense, because I expected him to be good. I expected him to perform, and I thought he did. Uh, the shooting, again, movement shooting, coming off screens, like that's what I wanted to see from him, and we saw it. So I was very pleased. You know, I, we, I just don't understand. Why do you think we're not hearing enough about Matherin's play? Because I just feel like, I don't know, if maybe it goes back to maybe not hearing enough about the Indiana Pacers, but overall – you know, Matherin, all summer league second team, a guy that averaged 19 points in, in about 22 minutes. He was extremely efficient. I mean, why is the media sleeping on a player like this? Because Matherin's not a clickbait and click driving name. Like, we'll just, you just call it what it is. He is at Arizona because he wears a Arizona Wildcat jersey. Um, but if it's not Paulo, Chet, Jabari, Jaden, Shaden Sharp, like, and Tari Eason, probably fittingly because he played that well 
like the clicks just won't be there from a media perspective. I think that's why. Like he's going if there was a way to calculate like play and production versus like preseason click rates in the media, you're going to see Matherin be near the top of whatever metric we would call that. Like he's going to outperform how little he's being talked about right now. Mm, that's that's really interesting and I think the most talked about storyline with Matherin obviously was LeBron James comments but uh don't want to go down that we've talked about that enough on here I do want to pivot now a little bit to the guys we took in the second round we'll start there first with the 31st overall pick Andrew Nimhart point guard out of Gonzaga he was the point guard for the Pacers during the summer league what are your thoughts on him as a prospect and did you think 31 was a good spot for him or was it a bit of a reach so Nimhart was one that you have to go like way back when you really have to get like your full thoughts on a player coming out of high school, thought he was good. Wasn't like madly in love with him as a prospect. I definitely saw what Florida and a lot of other schools saw. I was like, okay, this makes sense. Goes to Florida. It was pretty underwhelming. Not going to lie. Pretty underwhelming goes to Gonzaga. And all of a sudden he just looked like he was playing as a better athlete to me. That was one of the first things I noticed you know, his first season, especially this last year, compared to what he was at Florida. I just felt like he was quicker, a little bit twitchier, a little bit more slithery as he was coming off screens. And then the play was just solid. Like, again, he produced at a team with a lot of ball handlers and a lot of guards. He produced and definitely stood out as, like, the guy. This is the guy driving our offense, which, again, on a, on a top-rated team, as a veteran, you look for, and that stuff matters. I did not see him... During the season, I did not see him as an early second-round pick. I saw him as a mid to late second. Definitely thought he'd be picked. He was in our mock draft for a while, um, probably more in the 40s. When I saw some other people put him up near, you know, mid-30s, I started making some phone calls like, hey, I'm hearing this. You know, this team just told me this. Is Nemhard really going that high? Because maybe we need to mix some things up. I called a GM I'm close with. I said, Nemhard, where's he going? Didn't preface at all. And he was like 25 to 30. I was like, what? I was like, what? He's like, yeah. He's like, some teams have him in the end of the first. He's like, we know that. So I really had to change my lens of, okay, Nemhard's going like early. So I would say confidently that that was the middle of his range. More teams had him in that range than teams who didn't. And so I think at 31, even if it you know feels high or feels like a reach to Pacers fans, I think it's something to be happy about because a lot of teams wanted him and would have taken him there. You know, he's a guy that I think can be a backup in this league for a long, long time. And if you look at the history of the NBA draft, how many 31st round picks? If you if you said, you know what, I'm going to get a backup player, a second unit guy for seven years, would I pick him at 31? Every single time. And I think that's what you have there. So, uh, again, if feels early, if you would have asked me this in January, February, I would have said, I don't see it to him going this high, mm -hmm. but I, I do think Pacers fans, like, again, he's not flashy or super exciting, but I think he's going to be a good rotation guy. So it's a good pick. Yeah. You know, I know the Pacers were, I believe scheduled to have him in twice for workout. I, don't, I think one of them didn't happen, but I know they did get him in for at least one. Clearly the front office really liked what they saw. And then afterwards rewarded him. Uh, with giving him the largest guarantee ever for a second round college pick, he actually made more money than picks 18 to 30 in the first round. So uh, guaranteed. Uh, did that surprise you right over there? Because it, you're probably thinking like, oh, man, like Nemhard. I mean, he this guy just keeps surprising us. And Alex and I, we were surprised by the pick. He really wasn't on our radar. 
Um, but overall, it shows that the front office really does like what he brings to the table. And after moving Malcolm Brogdon, you know, there is a need for another point guard. I give credit to getting that kind of contract more to the agent than I do the team. Uh, Todd and Todd and those guys, Ramasar's his agent, did a really good job. And I think some of the agents that are the most successful, in my opinion, are the ones that can find the guys who are going 31 to 35 because they get paid on those differently than first round picks. So those are the, those are the guys where, again, Matt, you know, Babcock, he used to specialize in those early seconds. At one point he had the record for highest guarantee for a second round pick ever. Same situation where he got more money. He got his player more money than like picks 19 or 20 through 30, whatever those numbers were. I'd have to go back and look. Um, but I gave a lot of credit to the agent. Um, I don't know. There's a lot to be discussed about how rookie skill contracts work and are set up because if you're pick 18, you're like, what? Like, <laughs> am I being punished here? You know, Nemhard's out here getting more money than me. Uh, but at the same time, like, it is telling that they're willing to invest that much money in him. Like, that in itself should say something to Pacer fans. Yeah, and it's interesting to me because obviously they have T.J. McConnell on the books for the next couple of years. And while they're going into a bit of a rebuild, it's pretty adamant that they really do like McConnell. So uh, just the fact that they didn't have that third-string point guard all year last year was a big struggle. And I think maybe, like, playing him for the next couple of years behind McConnell. And then once McConnell's contract's up, if Nimhard's ready, then maybe he can be promoted to that backup point guard, which I don't think's, you know, out of the, out of the question. I think that that's what the hope is. So um, another guy that they got in the second round, and they had to trade up to get him into the second round. I think it was around pick 48 from Minnesota. They get Kendall Brown out of Baylor. And this is a guy that, you know, when I was doing my draft evaluation, which it's not anywhere near yours, so I'm not trying to say that. But I will say this. I, I thought he was a first-round talent. And I thought the Pacers could really use someone like him because of his athleticism and size. So can you talk to me a little bit more about his game? You know, where you think he's at in terms of like readiness? I don't think they're going to sign him to um, a roster spot, probably more of a two-way spot. But curious what your thoughts are on Kendall Brown and if he can make it in the league. Yeah, Brown, I definitely thought had a range of like 25 to 35. I thought he would sneak in at the end of the first. I know there are some teams up there that liked him. Some of those guys ultimately – traded up or traded out. Um, so he just kind of took them off the board. And him slipping, I think, says a lot about the direction that the modern, quote, modern NBA is going, where he just really struggles to create on the ball. He's kind of stiff. He's not very fluid. Um, passing is, I would say, good in spurts, but again, not on ball. He's not going to create, not a great facilitator. He's a dunker. He's a cutter. He's a play finisher. Now, again, he was a freshman. He is an incredible athlete. Like Pacers fan, when they see him up close, <laughs> he is one of the best athletes physically uh, and athletically in in this draft. So I do think eventually he comes up and gets minutes and is able to play. But I, I never saw him falling to 48 for sure. I, I thought he would definitely go higher than that. Um, his skills, finesse skills, ball handling, the ability to create his own shot, those are what will swing the pendulum on whether or not he's able to stick in the NBA. You know, Alex and I were both really liked him. And we we did a live reaction to the podcast, and we were freaking out when the Pacers made the trade for him because it felt like the icing on the cake in our really solid draft. And we were fortunate enough to have Scott Drew come on the show, and he, you know, he sung, sung his praises for Kendall Brown. But I also really believe that Kendall would have been someone who benefited big time going back to college. And this is a unanimous five-star recruit, a top 15 overall recruit to Baylor, but 
I also get the feeling that, and while nothing's official, it seems that he might sign a two-way contract as opposed to, you know, uh, your standard standard contract. Do you think the G League would be the most beneficial thing for Kendall right now to be able to expand his game? Yeah, a hundred percent. I would I would put him in the G League, and again, use the I think successful teams in the G League use it as a place where they're not a- afraid to let guys fail. Again, being here in Oklahoma City. I'm very much put Jang down there for a while. If if there are problems, if there are things to work out, that's okay. That's literally what I believe the G League is there is there for. Brown, I believe, is the same way. Let him run some pick and rolls. He's literally never been asked to do that with any kind of volume at all. Make him do it. Let's see what's in there. That's that's what I would do with Brown. Because if it clicks, you got an elite NBA athlete at 48. So if there are skills that he can learn, I think that could end up being a great value pick. Yeah, and I think the Pacers have done a good job of utilizing their G League as well. I mean, O'Shea Brissett was the guy that was on their G League team two years ago. Now he's on the roster. Started quite a few games last year, obviously, once they made some trades. But um, he's been a pretty pivotal player, I guess you could say, for the lack of wings that they have on the roster. And then I think if you look at last year, they Terry Taylor and, of course, Dwayne Washington Jr., were both guys that were put in the G League as well, and they both got standard contracts, like Bocce said. So, you know, I think that is something that's really important. The Pacers are basically allowing these guys to go down there and develop their skills, and they're not afraid to let them fail, like you said. So uh, kind of just put a bow on this year's draft class for the Pacers before we move on to the next year's draft class. What did you think overall of this Pacers draft, and what kind of what grade did you guys give them overall in terms of, you know, the players they selected? Yeah, we didn't necessarily do any kind of letter grades. I would probably give the Pacers a B. At 31, Nemhard again, makes a ton of sense. He's safe. There's clear intention to keep him for a long time. Personally, I like upside swings in the early 30s. That's just me, and Nemhard just wasn't one of those. Like some other names that were on the board at that time, um, I mean, Max Christie, Jaden Hardy, you know, Bryce McGowan's. Those are probably guys where I look, you know, if, I, if it was my pick, I probably would have gone with one of those. But that's my only knock. Like, again, Matherin is, was absolutely the right pick. At 48, the best player on our board was 100% Kendall Brown. So no qualms at all at either of those spots. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think the Pacers knew, you know, hey, with, with Malcolm Brogdon heading out, we're going to need another point guard in there. Maybe that swayed their decision a little bit. TJ McConnell, maybe his time, you know, a little bit numbered over here. And then, obviously, you got Tyrese Halliburton. So uh, my last question before we move off this draft is basically you got Halliburton, as you know, as the face of your franchise, but he's a pass-first point guard, which I love, compared to a score-first point guard. Then you got Matherin right over there. And and I love the fact that I don't want to view him as a sidekick or anything, but do you view that he could be that 1A-type scorer for the Pacers while, you know, Halliburton is the point guard? You know, trying to do that. Or do you see Matherin as more of he's more of going to be like a number two type B type scorer? I think for the Pacers looking at the roster as it currently sits in this 2023 draft, they still need to pick their alpha 30 point on ball scoring guy. I don't think Halliburton or Matherin are that dude. And again, I love Duarte. Don't think he's that dude. Um, I think in the next draft, you have to get your, like, okay, this is the one that at eight minutes left in the game, 
you go, you're not sitting down again and you need to make sure we win. Cause I love those two guys, but I don't know if, I don't know if for a long period of time that either of them are that guy. And that's a great point because we talked about this on one of our earlier episodes this week with our mailbag. They were talking about the young cores across the NBA right now. And the Pacers, I think in a recent article, I forget where at, but the Pacers were ranked like seventh or eighth based on like their young cores. And I said, all the teams above them have that alpha male that, you know, you got Cade Cunningham, you got Paulo Boncaro, you know, you got Jalen Green and Jabari Smith in Houston. You know, there's just a lot of teams out there that have that alpha male. The Pacers don't have that yet. And, you know, I, I was saying maybe Matherin can become that. I don't know if he will or not, but, um, you know, you don't ever want to like limit someone's ceiling because he could become that if he like hits everything. But like you said, projection wise, probably doesn't reach that probably is just a really good role player. So looking at this year's draft, I think this is a great time to kind of pivot and, and look at this upcoming draft. Let's talk about the number one prospect, the one that everybody seems to be tanking for, a generational talent, Victor Wimbenyama. Talk to me about his game. And, you know, we've heard a lot about him, but what is it exactly that makes him so special? Yeah, I mean, 7-3, fluid, crazy, crazy wingspan, can hit threes off the dribble, can hit him from the logo, absolutely impossible to score on. Like, even as a help side and weak side guy, there's just literally nothing you can do about it. Um, really smooth. Again, huge hands, but can handle the ball really well. Uh, it's just unique, unicorn, whatever you want to say. Like, he's he's generational. Um, you're going to see some teams absolutely racing, <laughs> racing to the bottom to try to go <laughs> to try to go get him. Man, feels like you just described like the modern day Will Chamberlain. I mean, really, this just sounds like a special player over here that all Pacers fans after listening to this are going to be like, I don't know if I want to win another game. So that's the spot that we're in. But look, the ping pong balls haven't always fell our way. Uh, the number one pick, it feels like something where, you know, unfortunately our mindset is, yeah, but that's probably not going to be us. But how do we get as close to that as possible? So say it's not, Victor, what other players can we look forward to in this draft that are going to be inside that top five. Yeah, and that's where the 2023 draft is really exciting, kind of just like 22 was, where let's say you don't get number one, like you're still pumped because I think in that, again, last year for me, it was a top four. You get top four, like you're cooking. And I think next year you're looking at Scoot Henderson, widely regarded as like the number two guy right now. Um, Matt and I got to see a workout of his in Las Vegas, probably it was almost a year ago now when he was still, you know, a year younger and he's like got Kawhi hands and is just outrageously strong, um, incredible athlete, like powerful, disciplined, quick, like the mentality, again, to be that alpha and that number one guy, he already has it. So Scoot, I think, is going to absolutely tear it up for Ignite this year. I expect him, again, a year in, in advance to be the number two pick behind Victor. I think the Thompson twins will be really, really close behind them from overtime elite. Uh, Amen and Asar Thompson from California. They're 6'7". Amen is a little more of a defender right now. Asar is a little bit more of an offensive player. But their athleticism and explosiveness are absolutely ridiculous. Like when they played in a TBT tournament, most basketball people on Twitter would have seen the videos of them just dunking all over the place. And it's so easy. You know, when Matt and I went down, because they're in Atlanta, not far from uh, where I grew up. So every time I go home, I try to stop by there. And these these kids are just crazy athletic in person, and they're they're getting better. They're very young. I expect them to be near the top five. Um, Dariq Whitehead from Duke, Cam Whitmore, Villanova, 
I think Nick Smith Jr. at Arkansas, I think it's kind of a dark horse. Again, not top five, but top 10, potentially. You're looking like Jairus Walker from Houston. There's just a lot of talent coming in next year's lottery. Like there's a lot, especially up in that top three, four, five-ish. I think the Pacers right now, overall, they really need that small forward. I I, I know they're probably going to play Matherin at the at the small forward. He said that he's six five, but plays like he's six seven. So I think that he can do it, but they still need someone with that like ability to play like a stretch four, more of like a modern three. Um, they've been looking for that basically since Paul George requested a trade, and so they've had their fair share of you know attempts trying to find him, but you know just hasn't lasted. So. Uh, who do you think is the closest to that if it's, you know, if you're not getting Victor Wimbanyama? I would probably look at Asar Thompson. Again, mo- most guys probably right now have Amen going first mm-hmm. uh, of, of the two. And I do agree with that as well. But offensively, I think Asar is a little bit more offensive upside than Amen does, where Amen can be an all world defender and just absolutely lock you up. I think Asar is going to shoot a little bit better. And again, I think you get either of them. Top four, I think you're a lock. Once you get into five and six, you'd have to see if maybe Whitehead or Nick Smith were taken before one of them. But anything in that two through five, I mean, you got to feel comfortable that you've got a shot. Man, the Pacers are going to have some stiff competition with the San Antonio Spurs because that team looks like they have no intentions of winning (laughs) even a game this year. Um, You know, OKC, you never know how hard they're going to tank. Their quest for the number one pick has gone on for quite a few years now. Um, but then also, you know, the Pacers are going to be right in that running. So as of now, uh, the Pacers should have at least two first round picks for next year. They're going to have their own pick. They're going to have the Boston Celtics pick. And then we're hoping that the Cleveland Cavaliers make the playoffs so we can get their pick. So potentially looking at three first round picks as of now, if no other moves are made, is this the draft where you want as many picks as possible in, or if you're the Pacers, are you trying to package up as many picks as possible to move up in this draft, get as close to number one as possible? Let's say that based on Tankathon right now, let's say these are the spots where the Pacers ended up. And right now it's 5, 15, and 27. Again, it's it's hard 11 months out to, to project this. I would pick at five, and I would take 15 and 27 and Buddy and say how high – how high can I get this second one? Can I get five and eight? Can I get five and nine? Can I get, you know, that, that is what I would try to do right now. I do like the 2023 draft. Um, even like the back end of the first, I think you're going to have a lot of talent, you know, Chris Livingston, Chris Murray, Harrison Ingram, Brady Dick, Arthur Kaluma. I mean, right now, most guys I've talked to around the league, Imani Bates is like a late first. I just don't even think a lot of teams would take him super high right now. Maybe you keep your pick and you're like, you know what? <laughs> Screw it. We're going to take Amani at whatever pick we've got because the talent's there. But I would pick at five and then I'd package the other two and just say, all right, how how high can I get? Can I get my hands on two lottery picks? Because you're, the chances of coming out with two alphas if you draft well is very high. Yeah, I mean, this draft class seems really exciting. And I mean, obviously, everything is going to change because what we have now on our big boards and our mock drafts, it's going to be shifted around because I mean, I remember last year going into the season, Patrick Baldwin Jr. was like somebody at like seven, and then he fell all the way to like the late 20s. So I think overall, it's one of those things where you just kind of have to like have an idea of who to look out for. Um, but one of the players that kind of stood out to me listening to people talk about uh, prospects is Dylan Mitchell. 
Um, I'm curious your thoughts on him. And also just, is it me or does every Mitchell that's in the league have to have a first name that starts with a D? Yeah. (laughs) Mitchell's going to be really interesting. He is one of the guys, at least in my mind personally, that I don't know where he's going to end up there. He has a, he has a ceiling. I think he has potential to be like eight, nine, 10, 11. Mm Mm-hmm. I think there's a world where if the struggles he showed in high school show up again, he's like 25 to 30. I think he's, I think coming in, it's going to be a little bit like Kendall Brown, where a lot of guys thought, Oh, there's some serious lottery potential here, but do certain things click. Like he, Mitchell is at the top of this is going to be an extremely telling year. Like you look at Scoot, the Thompsons, I feel very confident. They are not slipping, period. They are going that high. I think Dariq Whitehead, Cam Whitmore, Nick Smith, that's the next level of they're going to be right behind that group unless they just absolutely implode this season. And then you've got your Keontae George, Dylan Mitchell, Kaysen Wallace, you know, Anthony Black, Leonard Miller of, okay, I see the top 10 talent, but I also see the holes that could slip them to 30 and in my mind, have very wide ranges going into the year. Is there one player in mind that you might have that we should keep our eyes on that maybe people aren't talking enough about next year, but is going to be that riser in the draft? Like, for instance, Keegan Murray in, in this past draft was someone who, who boosted his stock through the roof, ends up going at four. People still doubt him ends up being summer league MVP. Is there maybe a player that maybe isn't returning to college that has that opportunity to boost their stock that much? Mm, I mean, returners, let me pull this up real quick. I texted somebody a returner list that I liked the other day. Where was that? Let's see some guys I put on this. I mean, everybody kind of knows about Turk Smith, Chris Murray. Um, I think Tyrese Hunter down in Texas is going to be an interesting one to follow from Iowa state. Pretty short lead guard, but again, he can fill it up. I think Jalen Wilson at Kansas had a, has a chance to get drafted. I thought he actually had a pretty good range if he would have stayed in this year. Uh, Andre Jackson at uh, UConn. I think Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman at Gonzaga. I think Matthew Mayer or sorry Matthew Meyer and uh, Josiah Jordan James are some of the older guys that are like, these guys are going to be valuable second round picks. And I thought if they came out this year, probably would have been picked. I don't I don't see right now kind of a a top five returner, if that makes sense. Like kind of like Keegan. I have a hard time looking at this list, finding, finding a guy like that. Maybe, maybe one or two to scratch mm, lottery mid first, probably a best right now. Okay. That is interesting. And uh, another player that's been, that's where the headlines a little bit is Gigi Jackson, uh, you know, reclassifying for this year's draft and then going to South Carolina and decommitting from North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. talk to me about his game a little bit and, you know, obviously reclassifying, it's it's kind of exciting. We've seen Shaden Sharp do the same thing last year. So uh, what do you what do you think about Gigi Jackson and what he could become? Yeah, Gigi is really fascinating. He's 6'9", mobile, fluid, um, flashes of putting it on the deck a little bit, can really can really score um, and defend the rim as well. So I think his offense, I won't say is a question to me, but how he scores on an NBA floor, I think will – uh, be a deciding factor in how how high he can be selected. 
you know, if he can really shoot the ball at six nine, I think he's going to get drafted significantly higher than if he can't, because he's a kind of a he's a power forward slash center a little bit uh, with a little bit of skill. So right now, um, if I had to look at my board, he's probably a seven to fifteen guy, maybe okay. ten to fifteen guys somewhere in there. But again, he's going to be a lot like Duran in the sense of very very young coming out playing a position where your body has to be very physically mature to be able to hang on NBA floor. So even if there are some concerns, the youth should help him um, get a little bit of slack there. I know you mentioned, you know, we got Victor at the top of the draft, but if there's going to be one player that has a chance to surpass him uh, long-term in that draft, end up being the best player, uh, do you feel that it's Scoot Henderson or is there someone else that has that, hey, if this guy really reaches his ceiling, you know, he could be the best player in the draft. It's Scoot or either Thompson. Scoot or either of the Thompson twins, for sure. Because all three of them, all three of them have it up here. Mm. Yep. That's good. And, to you, know. and, and, and if you're going to be one of the greats, you have to straight up. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you can't not have that. And that's that's key, too. I mean, I've been interested by the Thompson twins for, you know, a couple months now since I've looked a little bit into who could be there in 2023. And it's like, you know, like everybody wants Wimbenyama, obviously, but like who else is out there? So I think that's interesting. And then the guy that I think you brought him up, you did bring him up a little bit earlier. Um, this is a guy that I was hoping would stay in the draft and maybe, you know, fall to the Pacers in the second round there at pick 31 was Leonard Miller. Uh, this is a kid that I'm really intrigued by overall as a prospect. I know he's got a funky looking shot and I know that he, uh, he needed to go uh, another year before going into the draft just because he's not ready yet. But talk to me about his game and what do you think he can do to become potentially that, you know, a uh, first round pick this year? Yeah. I talked to a lot of guys I trust in kind of like the Canadian basketball world um, and talked to his agency as well. And I told him, I said, I think going ignite was the best possible thing for him. He is uber talented. He's still young, all the physical tools and flashes of the skill in the world. I worried during the combine, those games were moving very, very quickly for him. The, the speed of the game was just super fast. And that's not a knock on him at all, because you look at the competition he had been playing to all of a sudden you're at the NBA combine. Like that's a different level of basketball. So it would be fast for anybody. Uh, I think he'll start slow in the G League. And I think by the end of the year, he'll look like a lottery potential top 10 pick. So I think right now most people would have him 15 to 25 prediction this far out. If it clicks a little bit as a shooter and a creator, I think you're looking 10 to 15 for him. Um, it would have to be one of those first two pacer picks. He's, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be falling too far because I think mm -hmm. he's going to have a good year. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Hey, Derek, I really appreciate the insight that you provided. You know, I know we're already looking ahead to next year's draft, but, man, it's got the Pacers – Fan, Pacer fans really excited because that's the destination we want to get to. That that top pick, second pick, right in there to really find that franchise saver, that alpha scorer that you were talking about. So, Derek, tell everyone where they could check us, check you out on social media, some of the awesome content that you have. Yeah, so my Twitter is at dmurrayhoops. Um, it's where all my stuff is right now. Lately, it's been a lot of high school, a lot of Peach Jam stuff, a lot of the top recruits potential one and dones. Um, so that's kind of what the lens I've been looking at these high school guys at since summer league. Um, so that's where you can find it. And again, I'm on Tankathon right now. I just hit Sim lottery one time and the Pacers ended up with the number one pick. So 
I'm just, I'm just throw, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm throwing the throwing the vibes out there here. It's early. real, guys. It's real. The chance is there. All right, Derek. Yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And we'll have to get you back on soon, man. For sure. Thank you. All right, Fachi. Bada bing, bada boom. Another episode of Setting the Pace in the Books. What were your thoughts on our conversation with Derek Murray? Man, I thought that was great because Derek is, uh, that man is plugged in. He's got some great connects out there. Really knows what he's talking about. Uh, you know, loved his coverage of the Pacers' recent draft class, but also just the the potential for stardom to add to this Pacers team next year. I thought one of the most interesting things was saying that the Pacers are still indeed searching for that alpha scorer. Yeah. I want Matherin to be that guy, but at the same point, a lot needs to be seen first. But, hey, I ain't going to complain one bit. The Pacers are going to bring in another alpha in the top five next year. Yeah, and I also like, you know, obviously Buddy Hill he brought up. I don't know if he'll be here by next season, but using both the Cavs picks and the Celtics pick, to try to move up to get back into the top 12, top 10, whatever. You know, that's a really good point. Obviously, we'll be talking about that as the season goes along because there's a lot of good talent here. But like he said, keep an eye on those Thompson twins. I think, you know, these are two guys that I've kind of monitored a little bit as we're slowly getting into the season. I'm not going to, like, dive into their game too much right now because it's way too early. But I'm keeping my eye on those two guys because they provide a position of need that we desperately need. And um, I, I think that those are two guys to keep an eye on if, for some reason, we don't get lucky. But got to feel the good vibes from Derek getting us one spin on Tankathon Pacers. Victor Wimbenyama, how wild would that be? Oh, man. I mean, I know sometimes people have complained that I've just gotten too loud and just screamed in the mic. But when he got us on the first try on Tankathon, Alex, I got fired up. I really <laughs> felt like we have a real chance at getting the top pick. And, hey, I can't say that we don't because we're definitely going to be in the running. And when the way that he described Victor, I mean, it was almost comical. He described the perfect basketball player, (laughs) a man with no flaws that can hit threes from the logo and can block any shot out there. It was like, I want that. Yeah. Okay, let me ask you this because I was curious. You called him the modern-day Wilt Chamberlain on the interview. Did Wilt Chamberlain shoot from three? No, it wasn't threes, but the way that oh Wilt come on back man then would have described Wilt, it was like he could do it all. He could score. He could block shots. He could rebound. He could you get assists. It just sounded like this description was like someone from out of this world. Yeah, it almost made him sound like a mixture of like Steph and Wilt Chamberlain put together. Steph and so Wilt. yeah, 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 Steph and Wilt, like Steph Chamberlain, aka Victor Wimbanyama. You heard it here first on setting the pace. But no, I thought that was interesting when you said that. I almost said something in the interview, but I was trying to be polite and uh, didn't want to say too, too much. But with that being said, Fachi, really good episode. I think Derek's going to come back regularly um, on one of our YouTube shows to just kind of get us up to date throughout the season to let us know more about these prospects. So really looking forward to that. But Fachi, let the people know where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them one more time where they can check us out on YouTube. Yeah, go to YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast for your favorite and best Pacers content out there on the YouTube. So with that being said, if you're excited for the 2023 NBA Draft, say these three words. Let's go Pacers!
This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Smooth.